you how to reignite the embers of a distant and lonely relationship into a blazing, emotionally intimate connection. I'm your host, Amber Dawson. I'm a psychologist, author, and speaker. A few of my favorite things are my husband, grapes, and my adorable little dog, Riggs. Now let's learn how to create a soul crush in love that lasts. Hit subscribe in your podcast app so that simply by listening, you can rekindle your relationship by pouring a little gas on your relationship ember. This podcast is for informational purposes and should not be misconstrued for specific relationship advice. For advice for your specific relationship, seek a local couples therapist for relationship counseling or couples therapy. Welcome back to Relationships Like the Podcast. And today I have a very exciting guest. This is someone that comes at relationships from a very unique perspective. She is an attorney mediator who has seen what leads to divorce. She has worked with couples going through divorce, 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 which led her to think about prevention. And I think it is so cool to firsthand understand what is going wrong so we can look at, well, how do we prevent that? So Dr. Tamara Fackrell loves a good marriage. She's super passionate about the topic. After practicing as an attorney mediator who works in divorce and family matters for over 10 years, she decided to get her PhD in marriage and family therapy and human development. Dr. Fackerel has been an active attorney mediator for over 20 years now and has been doing preventative speaking and help, helping couples with mediation and marital strategies. She's an international speaker and an author of over 15 books. And uh, she, she's got that firsthand experience that a lot of us don't have with what sets a relationship up to fail and what can make it work. So welcome to the show. I am so very excited to have you here today. Thank you. So uh, before we hit record, I asked her just a few questions and she just immediately, like her eyes brightened, her her voice got a little louder. She postured in and she's excited. And not everybody I talk to uh, in this space is, is excited anymore about it. I mean, it can be tiring, uh, lots of burnout, and that was not what I saw on her. So can you just fill us in? What made you decide to pursue your PhD after, you know, working in law and how come it was important to you to learn more about relationships? So I'm an attorney mediator. And so that means that I basically get a new case every day. So I basically help more than 230 people a year divorce. And I just kept on seeing these patterns and thinking, wow, like maybe if they would have had um, different information or modeling uh a, a while ago before I get them that it could have made a big difference inside their marriage. And so I decided I was either going to burn out of the profession of being a divorce mediator, or um, I was going, I, I decided I was going to go back to PhD school so that I could work in the prevention space as well. And I could um, do speaking and write books and different things. And, and I work, do couple strategies um, sessions for couples um, in my moonlighting, I still am a divorce attorney by day because I'm super passionate about bringing peace to family matters, especially when kids are involved. So I'm very, mm. very committed to kids. And so I think it's great to educate those parents on what they can do next best. But I really realized that um, I could educate people on on some things to help them have a really great marriage. And I just have found there's not a lot of great modeling of, of good marriages. I ask people the question like, you know, who's a great marriage that you know, and it's like silent crickets, or they can think maybe of one or two people after a really, really hard think tank. And so I just, I just thought it would be great to bring to light what the studies are showing and what I've learned as a divorce attorney. And we call it reverse brainstorming, where you you talk about everything that can go wrong, all the bad parts. I have an acronym that I use, AAA half, all the bad things that can happen. And these are all the things you shouldn't do in your marriage so that you can learn kind of what you should do in your marriage. Mm. Well, wow. Getting, helping people, more than 230 people a year get divorced, like that's a uh... I can see why that would begin to get tiring and exhausting and why you might want to go into the preventative work and also be thinking to yourself like, wow, what, what can we do so that some people aren't getting divorced? And I like how you mentioned the kids. I have so many people ask about the kids in couples therapy and 
maybe we'll circle back to that. And the modeling, like people, you were so right. People don't have great models for that. And I talk about, and they say things like, you know, this is what I see on TV. And I mean, TV is based on a grain of truth and reality. And that's why we watch it. But also like TV is spun to match the plot. And so there are some things true on TV. And there are some things on TV that are so far away from reality uh, that it's, it's confusing modeling at best. So in this show, we're going to look at, we're going to start off looking at um, what are some of the predictors of divorce? What happens that people end up in front of you. And then towards the end of the show, we're going to slide into what can we do to prevent it? How can we, how can we not get to that step? So I want you to tell me, you know, you've been working in this field for what did you say, 10 years, 20 years. And um, not only that, you have education uh, in what sets a relationship up to, to fail. So what are some of the top predictors, some of the top things you see that are preventing people from having long, happy, fulfilling marriages and leading to divorce? So I created an acronym. I'm an acronym girl just because I speak a lot and I feel like that helps people remember. So I, it's called AAA half. And these are, this captures from my practitioner perspective, it captures about 95% of the divorces that I do. Wow. One of these, one of these. So number one is adultery. Uh, number two is uh, abuse. And number three is anger management issues or not, not knowing well how to deal with the conflict or anger management. Num the next one, H, is health or mental health. Um, mental health is a really, really big one. Mm -hmm. um, and then the next is A, is avoidance. So avoidance of communication on important issues. Yeah. Um, and smart marriages says that over 90% of divorces have, have an element of avoidance. And mm. so it's a really, really big predictor. Um, L is lack of regular intimacy. Um, F is faith crisis. And then the last F is finances. So that really captures about 95% of what of people that come into my office. It's very, very rare. They don't have one of those things. It's very rare. We're just like, yeah, we just, you know, don't get along and there's not something in, in one of those that, that comes in. So those are the mm. things that you want to avoid. I mean, that's really great. A really great acronym. And, uh, I heard that. I was like, wow, I might, I might take that and say where I got it from, obviously, but like, that's, yeah, you that's absolutely really good. Hear it. That's the, that's the truth. And I think what's really interesting here is, um, you know, there's a, a lot of myths about like, ah, oh, this is the number one pre reason people get divorced. Like some people think it is just adultery or just finances. Um, and people will say things like, well, my relationship's not that bad. I'm not being abused. Well, there's other things that happen and abuse is a huge deal. Um, and so there's just so many things here that you're talking about. So um, I'm curious, like of these, do you have one or two that are the top that you see or are they all kind of equal? Yeah. So in the adultery space, we also, we, we basically call that, that space actually the addiction space. So it could be adultery. We call it sexual addiction, regular addiction. So, um, so I wanted to clarify that. So addictions and adultery, I think that addictions and adultery cover quite a bit and the mental health, um, issues cover, a, a lot. And as I said, avoidance tends to weave in and out all of the issues, right? So, so when you have secrets in marriage, secret finances, secret people, secret, um, secret ideologies for your faith crisis, so, like secrets in marriage, and, and that's kind of where that avoidance comes through. So those are, and then anchor management is something that is really, really interesting, because you have like a, a healthy, happy marriage. And one guy said to me, like, I only had a problem three times. Well, three times in his marriage, he got so angry and punched walls and did these things. And really one time of that is enough to ruin the whole 10 years because of the safety, you know, mm -hmm. that, that happens and things like that. And so, um, so yeah, you just have to be cautious and careful. And I think that also, you know, um, Blaine, Blaine Fowler's research calls it marital virtues, but I think just always striving to be a better person, you know, and just, you know, on that progression scale to be a better person also just really flows over well into your marriage on the opposite as well. Yeah. I mean, I think what you said here, a couple of things is really interesting. You said avoidance, but it sounds like you're not just talking about people that like 
um, don't want to necessarily talk about their thoughts and feelings or like don't necessarily want to talk about emotions. And that might be part of it, but it sounds like you're talking about deeper avoidance in the sense like there's really not talking about thoughts like much at all to the point where you're truly hiding things. So there's secret, there's big secrets going on, whether it's finances, other relationships and secrets, you know, are one of the big things that lead to betrayal. And, you know, there's a fine line between avoidance, not sharing as much and like keeping a secret. And that's going to be a line in the sand for everyone. But it sounds like you're talking about, um, I guess, bigger secrets rather than someone that just doesn't share as much. Is that accurate? Yeah. And, and, um, I think that, so two thirds of all divorces are filed by women. So they, Mm -hmm. they're in the research, they're called the relationship keepers. So, um, a lot of patterns that I see with women in particular is they've avoided things. And then one day they're just like, I want to divorce you. And the husband's like, you know, why are you getting divorced? They say three things, three words. I'll tell you why I'm getting divorced. Three words. I don't know. So, and the women, um, on the other hand will say, no, I told them about things, but they didn't tell them in a way that created action. They Mm. basically said things very softly or in a roundabout way. And so it's very, very shocking to a lot of people that their spouse wants divorce. And then the, the part that's so difficult is that, you know, maybe they'll, you know, do a token, go to counseling for a little bit, just as a symbol that they tried, but they've already done. And my whole PhD, my dissertation was on the crossroads of divorce. So people that were just deciding, but the, un, we call it the uncoupling process. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's basically when people move from marriage to divorce and you just find that there's not enough opportunity to cure. And so you need to learn, I call it, uh, that you can talk in a comma or a period or an exclamation point. And so some people will just all talk in a comma where they've kind of circled around it, but haven't said how important it is and that it's creating marital satisfaction issue. A period is like, oh yeah, this is happening. Please change an exclamation point. It's like, look, this is really influencing our marriage and I'm going to have to, you know, look at different steps if you can't make changes. And so just knowing the right emphasis to put inside of what you're communicating, I think is really important because sometimes you'll ask the women, well, did you tell them about it? And it's like, well, yeah, they knew about it, but not in an exclamation point way, not in a way that they knew it was going to lead them to my divorce office. And so I think when you talk Um, the avoidance of big issues and expressing that it's big. And another interesting study um, shows that only only 25% of people can accurately predict the marital satisfaction of their spouse. Mm. And so one thing that I do in the marriage mediation strategy sessions that I have, and it's actually on my website too at mindfulmarriage.love, it general weekly survey, well, from zero to 10, where are you at on your marital satisfaction? From zero to 10, where are you at on your individual happiness? Those two things correlate with one another. And so if you are in this, you know, the six to 10, then you're good. But if you ever dip below a six and your marital satisfaction goes five, four, three, two, one, it's something you need to get into action quickly about because um, because you can make changes. And it's so interesting how quickly marriages can decline. They're doing well for 10 years. And another, in, I'm a kind of a study nerd, as you can tell, but another interesting study is that 90% of people that are married report being happy. And so then your brain is like, well, then how does 50% end up in divorce? And the reason why is you flip into that 10% and then the marriage kind of gets blamed for the unhappiness in that space. And not everybody constantly stays at the 90%. But another um, study by Dr. Waite shows that people that these 10% of people that were unhappy, they took them in a longitudinal study. And those that decided to stay married after a five-year period had restored their happiness. And Mm -hmm the vast majority of them. And then the people that divorced, they were still unhappy. So the study kind of demonstrated that marriage itself can be that protector of happiness. And I think sometimes people just, 
don't, as John Gottman says, turn towards one another enough when they're in that hum- unhappy space that comes to everybody inside their marriage. So, and it's, it's common for people to think about divorce. It's not unusual. It's common. And so just keeping that commitment level to one another, it's like, oh, I feel this. Like, let's talk through it. Let's work through it. There's so many great solutions and, and getting educated is something that's really important. Yeah. I mean, I'm the really interesting uh, information you're giving us here, like two thirds of divorces are filed by women. You call them the relationship keepers. That's mm-hmm. not a surprise. You know, women often complain about the emotional labor. They feel like if they weren't planning the date nights or telling their partner what to do, or, you know, talking about feelings, their partner wouldn't do it. And, and there's truth to that. And there's, you know, call it nature, call it nurture. There's, there's research that supports both, but women do do that. And I, I totally um, my clinical practice would support that many women are like, I've told them this before and their partner sitting in therapy jaw dropped. Like I'm shocked. They're so dissatisfied. I, I had no idea. And the female partner's like, what? Like, how could you not know? And I think there's a few things. It's almost like there's a, you talked about the comma, the period and exclamation mark, like so great. And I even thought maybe there's like a step before the comma, which is like a blank. Exactly. <laughs> and the blank is, Dash, the blank right? is I, I assumed they should just know. Correct. And they should just know. And you're like, well, Yes, I would love if my partner just knew. My partner doesn't. And and I think, you know, some people are commenting when they're explaining it to their partner or just putting the period or, and they're not doing an explanation mark of explaining, you know, this is what's going on and this is how it's impacting me. Or maybe they're just complaining about it. And so I love that, like that kind of different ways you're telling. And I think just reiterating to people, okay, let's let's make sure that we've actually communicated how bad it is to our partner and what we need. Cause I think experience has been that many people miss that full explanation mark. Yeah. And I also think that that's why the scale of zero to 10 is so easy because it translates in a logic-based way. Like, Hey, I used to be an eight, but right now I'm a four and a three, like I'm declining, like have a number attached to it is a way, like if you're, you have an emotion-based person and a logic-based person, it's a way, it's a measure to be like, Oh, and I'm doing better and worse. So I, I think that the zero to 10 scale is something that is really, really important to use inside of marriage. So it's quantifiable instead of just all of the emotions and I'm not happy. Do you like this? Yes or no? You know, are you unhappy? Yes or no? It's like, Mm. well, no, I'm not unhappy. Well, what does that mean? Does that mean you're not unhappy as a three? That's different if you're not unhappy as an eight. Do you see how how these measures can, using measures inside of marriage and just having that simple scale can really help people identify where they're at. And and one of the marriage seminars that I gave, um, the, the wife said to me, you know, I know my husband thinks I'm happy, but I'm not. And I said, well, you need to be brave enough to tell him mm-hmm. it, it's, it's a, it's a, a breach of trust really in some ways in a, in a marital relationship, which is the most intimate relationship on, on the planet, right. To be unhappy, knowing your other spouse thinks you are and, and move on that no for days. Okay. But I'm just talking about like long-term unhappiness and not turning towards each other and saying, Hey, I need some help. We need to to work on this. And the man at the end of the seminar told me this has changed my life just Mm -hmm. to be able to know where she's at and know what I can do better because she hadn't had a former opportunity to speak speak up. Because what I find is people are in their marriage, but they don't take the time to work on their marriage. Mm-hmm. And so that is, and so that's one of the things that I talk about is doing a marital retreat one time a quarter, spending either just a full day from nine to nine, but I actually prefer an overnight where you're working on your marriage. And so I have um, a marriage journal set that I've developed and people do 10 things that they love about their spouse from that quarter and 10 specific feedbacks. And then two things that they want their spouse to work on. It's like this proactive way. And so I was just looking um, yesterday morning on my mirror. I've got a little sticky note on the things that I'm working on this quarter in my marriage. So you're proactively always trying to make your marriage better. And these are the things we're working on currently. So having a, a space to work on your marriage and, and, you know, and, you know, people go to work every day. We do work meetings. We do all of these things, but people don't take the time to do a, a business meeting. They don't develop the business relationship of their marriage. And I think that if people would just take the time, look, 
Could you be, I couldn't be in my law firm without having meetings and working through and do these things. People understand it in a business sense. And you can understand in marriage if you're not having regular meetings. So I suggest the quarterly meetings. And then my doing the basics of marriage is the Ackerman of paid. And the first one is powwow. It's just a, a weekly meeting that you have every single week. And, and, and in that there, it's the wrap formula that you have the responsibilities of, of Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, like what's going on with our schedule, an appreciation moment. We are saying, Hey, this past week, here's one thing I've really appreciated problem solving, which is just taking one item because when you problem solve, it's much better to just do one and then five positives. That's John Gottman's research. So in, in your powwow, you just take one item. You don't solve so many all at once. You just take it in stride. And then the next one is planning so that you're going to be planning your weekly date and planning that time together. So that's like the first of what I call just doing the basics. The first P of it is weekly powwow, developing that business model inside your marriage. Wow, that's that's really helpful, and thank you for sharing that. And I, I think you know that the, I think people don't realize that staying on top of a relationship takes work. And I'm struck with a, a you know a many many months ago, I worked with a, a client who said like their relationship was in not great shape, and after doing an assessment, it was it was not very good. And I said to them like um, individually about them, and I said to them, uh, "How do you think your relationship is doing?" Like how motivated are you for counseling? Cause there was a very big discrepancy. One was very motivated and the other partner was not very motivated. And the partner who was not very motivated, I said, well, help me understand. Like, it looks like you, you both are very unhappy. You both um, endorse a number of things that are really going wrong. And yet you're not very motivated for counseling. So help me understand why you're not. Um, and he said, well, I just think, you know, we're hit, hitting a slump and I think all relationships hit slumps. And I think like, it'll just naturally get better. I was like, okay, well, help me understand how you think this will naturally get better. And this, this person didn't really have an answer for me. And I, I kind of explained to this person, I was like, you know, relationships are kind of like digging a hole. If you start digging a hole and it's a little bit shallow, you, you know, might be able to walk by and kick some dirt in it and your hole's full and it didn't really take that much effort. But when you've dug yourself a hole that's the same size as you, you're not going to walk by and kick some dirt in that hole and it's going to be full you got to really get in there and figure out how you're going to refill that hole. And you, you guys are in a position where that hole is not getting spontaneously filled. If you don't think about how to fill that hole, it's only getting deeper at this point. And I think a lot of people don't realize that, you know, when you dig something deep enough, it's not going to spontaneously fill. So I think that paid acronym that you just talked about, what people can do to make sure they're catching their hole when it's shallow Mm -hmm. It's so important. So they're not waiting for it to get deep or they, they can't fix it. Yeah. So we've talked about a number of the things that are getting in the way of people having, uh, or that, that could be trending them in the direction of divorce before we really head to more prevention. Is there anything else you want to highlight? Um, that's one of the predictors of divorce or something that you see. I think on the divorce side, um, the studies are quite clear that commitment is the number one thing. I mean, your happiness might flow in and out, but if you're committed to marriage, um, most people that, uh, marry with the intent of it being a lifetime mm -hmm. um, event. And so um, the studies are quite clear that commitment is the number one. And it reminds me of my good friend. She had eight kids and wow. she said, relish in the time that you love your husband so it can get you through the times you can't stand them. And <laughs> I think just like having that expectation that there are bumps in the road and, and things happen where, yeah, things aren't going so well. But if, if you've got that, you know, lifetime um, I, ideal and that commitment space there, then I think that that makes all of the difference. And so, yeah. and, and so that I think is really, really important. And, and I do think there's ebb and flow of marriage, but I think that what, if you systemize it, you can actually create systemized ebbs, you know, and flows and, and make them work in a way that makes your marriage better and better. Mm, yes. I love that. So what about uh, conflict resolution? Is there anything to do with conflict resolution that couples should really be aware of that can lead in the direction of divorce? 
Yeah. So in the conflict resolution space, you brought up analogy that I use too. So I'm going to go with it. It's, so it's the whole analogy. So I also think about a person and, and marriage getting inside like a conflict hole. And when we talk about marriage, I think it's really important to think about the past part of marriage the present part of marriage and the future part of marriage. And so in conflict itself, I, I'm going to fill now your hole with quicksand. So mm -hmm. if you have what I call, we, I call it conflict debt. It's, it's debt that you have um, in your conflict debt. It's un, unsolved conflict. Like we call it open box conflict. So it might be just a little conflict you have, but you never went back and closed the box on it. You never finished it. You avoided it. You stomped out. You had an angry thing, but you never went back and said, oh, by the way, we're done. Like we're done with this. You didn't have an ending to the story. So if you don't have an ending to the story, it leaves the box open. And what happens to open conflict is when you get in the present conflict that you have, it attaches to the open conflict. And so the conflict becomes bigger. And so it's constantly just churning debt. And so it's like you get in quicksand like up to here. And that's quicksand is just a symbol of past conflict. Like you don't, you're not at peace with past conflict. Now, John Scottman's research shows that 67% of conflict is unsolvable, he says, perpetual unsolvable. But I found a way to help people solve the unsolvable. So that's what's really cool. So I'm just wondering, do you think you could predict what you and your spouse might disagree upon in, in like the next month? Could you think you could predict a topic yeah. of disagreement? Yeah, I, I know. I know generally where we're going to disagree. I know. I know where things are going to slide sideways. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and so do I, because we have themes to our disagreements, right? So yeah. for my husband and I, we disagree over time. And mm. so, so time is a, a disagreement. Um, he was raised by army drill sergeant and I'm raised by Mary Poppins. And when you mix those <laughs> mantras together, it's like, yeah. wow, you know, so we disagree in time. We, we disagree also in some of our parenting ideologies. So what I do is I help people create conflict resolution systems. So when you're not in the conflict of the time, you, me and Jake sit down in our weekly powwow and I'm like, Hey, we need to systemize time. And so um, I have a problem solving system systemization sheet that I use on, on my website. But basically, so what you do is you say, okay, what's a system that could work for time? And I, I, I have four systems that I recommend, but you could do others. These are just some, some things. One is the his, her system, like the his, tell her system, his, her. So like, for example, in our parenting, because we didn't really want to compromise and come to a compromise system. Basically, what we did is we decided when he initiates the parenting, Jake will do it his way. When I initiate the initiate the parenting, I'll do it my way. And we won't crisscross. Like I won't intervene into his parenting, which I did. And it was it was not good for our marriage. I'll tell you, mm -hmm. it was not good. And if I say, hey, wait till your dad gets home and I pass the stick over to him, then he does it. And so now we have a system that we support each other. We have a united front. If there's issues, we can talk about it in a powwow, but it's systemized. So every time something comes up with the kids, we know, and it's good because we play bad cop and good cop. And of course we've sh shifted over the years and he can be soft and I can be strict and we do shifting and all of those things, but it's systemized. There's also the one option where look in the garage, I, Jake has final say. So in divorce, people develop final say. So I tell people in marriage, develop final say over certain things. So the garage, Jake has final say on. So it's a one option system, meaning we're going to do his way in the garage because he has final say in that space. So final say is something that also, where if it's in the kitchen, I have final say. So, mm. that, so that's where the one option system can fit in and deciding who has final say where. And then number three is the agree to disagree system. For example, my husband loves to jump off, do backflips off of cliffs. And I just tell, told him, I don't think this is wise, but he like, it's legal adrenaline and he loves it. And he's like, no, I, we're going to just have to agree to disagree. He's constantly still flipping off of, of cliffs backwards, but I did have him get um, more life insurance, but we just had to agree to disagree and hold hands. And then, you know, you can have the compromise system where together 
you're coming into um, a compromise um, and, and like for the time thing, me and my husband decided if it's his event, we'll do his time. If it's my event, we'll do my time. If one of us is late, then we'll just take separate cars. So you're also in the system planning on if it fails, what are we going to do? Because usually if, if couples take separate cars, they're in a fight. Well, not us because time's so important to Jake. It's like, no, you go in your time frame. Don't wait for me. Like I'm holding up. Don't, don't wait. So basically the, the genius of it is you're solving these because there's two tracks in con there's two tracks in communication. There's your normal, regular communication track, you know, how you're at the grocery stores and with friends and your normal self. And then there's the conflict track. And what I found in unhealthy marriages is the conflict track actually takes over the regular communication track. And so, and John Gottman's research called negative attribution. Basically, if your spouse says something neutral, they take it and they say, oh no, it's negative. Like they, their conflict track just like pulls on to normal communication, creates more and more conflict. That's the, that's the, the, the quicksand I'm talking about. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and so if you don't have your past conflict solved, you haven't put a lid on it and boxed it up and said, yeah, of course we have differences. And John Gottman's research says the differences are lifestyle choices cause differences, value bases cause difference. They're perpetual differences. Every marriage has them, but if you systemize them, and if it is just like, hey, I agree to disagree, then then okay, right? But but you've basically then taken this past conflict, worked through it in the present when you're on your normal communication system, and decided how we're going to solve things in the future. And then you go and you test out the system in the future, and if it doesn't work, you, oh, wait, you know what? That didn't quite work. When we were in conflict, we thought it would work, but it didn't. Next time when you're in your weekly powwow, you've given appreciation, you're in your good space, say, we need to make a few tweaks on that system. And you write it down in your, you know, marriage journal book that we've got, you know, I've got a whole system section in it. And you write it down and you figure these things out. And you yeah. have the business of your marriage. You have your procedures and your policies of your marriage. And it's something that can be just really great for, for couples. Yeah, I love everything you say here. I'm actually in the in the process of building a course called Communication Cures. And I was like, oh, I'm thinking in my head, I'm just so grateful that I'm having this conversation for you to, with today because I'm, I'm literally took, uh, I have today where I'm writing some of the content starting to film. And I'm like, oh yes, how do I even systemize some of my already systems and make them simpler? You're just right. full of a wealth of knowledge. And I think, you know, some of these things like the final say and agree to disagree and, and perpetual problems. And you asked, can I foresee a problem coming up in my relationship? One of the things I was struck with kind of similar to you, my high, my husband has a higher sense of risk tolerance uh, than I do. And he goes back country for days at a time. And, and, you know, I can get myself quite worked up when I don't hear from him for many days and what's, what's he doing. And uh, this is a place where we have to agree to disagree. And uh, one of our solutions was he now, I, we got him this Garmin. So it's satellite yes. where mm -hmm. if, if I really need to hear from him, I, I can get in touch with him and he has pre-programmed messages that it sends me. So he doesn't even have to send me anything, but we, you know, we looked at them before he left and he, he said, oh, these are the messages. And they're like, hi, checking in. They don't say anything. I was like, no, these messages aren't lovey enough. You have to like add on hi, checking in. I love you and I miss you. So he went and pre-programmed all of these messages that have like sweet words, kind words, endearing words. And I get them. And when I get them in the moment, I forget that I sat there and pre-programmed these messages with him, but this was a real source of conflict for us in the past. And it's kind of agreed to disagree. He's never going to stop doing this and I'm never going to love it, but we can make that experience for the both of us less worse. He has to keep this thing charged and, and remember to have it on and activate the plan every year. And I have to accept that the message is coming in. I can track his location if I need to, if I'm getting freaked out. And the truth is, as long as I'm staying in regular contact, I don't need to track his location because, um, I could if I wanted to on the message, it shows me where it's sent from, but I feel more at ease knowing that there's something coming in and he's alive. And so we, we've developed these systems about something we'll never agree on. And so I loved how many of the his and hers, the final say, agree to disagree, compromise, so many great examples. So let's slide into, you're starting to give preventative like suggestions here. Mm -hmm. What do you think are some of the biggest things, and maybe it's some of the things you've already talked about, are tools that people can use to prevent having to see you for one of those 230 divorces a year that you do? 
So um, I wanted to expand a little bit of what I've talked about uh, of the business-like nature of the, of the relationship. And there's four mm-hmm. things that I tell people in their conflict space, because conflict's number one, and then I want to touch on a few other things. But I want to, while we're still in this conflict box, I want to talk about one other thing. Um, in this business-like relationship. So we're having weekly powwows. We're having a, a marital retreat, which is awesome. The retreats are awesome because we're working on things proactively. We're doing our 10 to we're having great sexual intimacy. We're having recreation, like just a lot of connection time without, you know, all these other things occurring. So it's like, Hey, we, and the cool thing about the marital retreat is my husband developed it because he's a CEO of a company and he was reading a book and their company started to do these quarterly retreats. And he's like, Tam, why don't we do this in our marriage? And I'm like, yeah, why don't we? And it was like, so it blossomed our marriage into a space. But I do have to say, when we first started, I was not a person that was really great about receiving candid feedback. So I like, it took me a minute to be like, oh, but it's like, if you're working on your marriage, so the first couple of retreats plan on it being a little bit rocky, but when you get to the third one, you're like, yes, it's so awesome. So I think that's important. Um, and here's a few little rules. If you wouldn't say it to your boss, don't say it to your partner. So, I mean, you should see the texts I see, the, you know, the things I see and people like, you know, swearing at their spot. Like, look, if you're not going to say it to your boss, don't say it to your partner. It's just literally that because I think that the best model for conflict inside of marriage is how you solve it at work. If, you know, if somebody at work did something annoying to you, like what would you do? Or if you have a major problem at work, how are you going to solve it with a coworker or a team? And that is the absolute best model for how you should also solve um, problems inside your marriage, because there's a level of respect in the business space. We can't swear and be angry. I mean, you should see, I see these very uh, like amazing people in the workspace and I see their wives following them around and they're screaming and yelling and ranting. It's like, man, in my divorce practice, you know, but it's like, if you would have done that in the workspace, you'd be fired. You'd be sued. Like you shouldn't act that way in your marriage either. Another, the next thing that I would say is talk about it with a pencil in your hand. People like we've talked about it. I'm like, right. But did you talk about it with a pencil in your hand? It's just a symbol that you sat down and you've talked about it while you're brainstorming officially. The reason why that's so important is because when you write during your problem solving, it keeps your left part of your brain active. So your right part is emotion, your left part is logic. And if you're writing things as you're solving problems, your logic center is activated and you solve problems so much better. So people like, I've talked to him, I've asked, it's like, but did you do it with a pencil in your hand? So that's another thing that I like to say. And then the biggest um, system that I try to help people with is number one, if you lose it and you're in your, what we call your limbic system. So you're in your fight, flight or freeze response and your amygdala has gone off and your, that means your prefrontal cortex. I do this because I have a little model. I, I teach kids like this is your smart brain. Here's your peanut amygdala and here's your monsters, you know. So she's but holding up her hand right now and pointing to different parts of her hand, those closed fists, yeah, so I, I do a thumb little, and open I, palm. Yeah. So I do a little, I, I do a little model, but um, take a break. If you're in your limbic system and you're not thinking clearly and you just, and you can feel yourself simmering, take a break. Number one. Um, But number two, close the box, which means after the studies show you need at least 20 minutes to calm down, come back within 20 minutes or an hour and just finish it out quickly or, hey, I'm fine. I just need a time to think or write it down, whatever it is. And hey, let's just talk about that in powwow. But just like you would in a business space, you know, work things out. So that's that's a whole set of that I think so important inside of marriage to have the business component of it. And then back to my basics on the paid, I did the powwow. The other things that I tell people, like if your friend comes to you and says, Hey, uh, for the listeners, Hey, if you know, my, my marriage isn't great. I'm like, okay, check on the paid list. Number one, are they doing their weekly powwow? Number two, prayer. I just tell people if you are religious at all, like pray, not just pray together, but every day pray for your marriage. Just like ask for help, like please bless our marriage, like be purposeful, say the words 
And so that's something that will, will, will work for religious people. A is act. And that's just like a daily act where you thought of something small, even if it's just kissing them when they come in from the door or writing a note or a text, just one small thing that it's at least takes 60 seconds, but it was meaningful. Like, and that's why my whole mantra is mindful marriage. My website, mindfulmarriage.love, my Instagram, mindful, mindful underscore marriage. is like, just be mindful in your marriage. Do at least five minutes of marriage work every day. And then I is regular sexual intimacy. The studies show that um, the average is 1.5 times per week. Nobody likes a 0.5. So <laughs> I tell people twice a week and I'm a big fan of people scheduling it. So I tell people, you know, Thursday, Sunday, Thursday, Sunday. And what that means is that it doesn't mean Thursday, Sunday. What it means is if we haven't had sexual intimacy by Thursday, we'll engage on Thursday. And if you haven't had it by Sunday, we'll engage on Sunday. And sometimes people are like, hey, you know, two wouldn't work for me. I need, we need, we do a three, four split. Every 48 hours is another very common pattern. So it's three on three times on one week, four times on another. And then another common pattern is every 72 hours. So whatever your pattern is, but know what it is and, and have meaningful connection. And also with intimacy, because in faithful marriages, it's the only space that you get sexual intimacy is right there. All of the needs, like you can farm out appreciation. You can farm out service and involve other people in all these genres, but that's one thing you can't. I tell people, if your spouse really wants to engage in sexual intimacy, if possible, say yes, but I know things get in the way. So if it's not possible, then you engage within a 24 hour period so that you don't have hurt feelings. You should hear how much hurt feelings I hear in people that live in the lack of regular intimacy space. It's a really sad sad, sad space to hear people talk about being rejected over and over again. And there's no other resource. So they're just kind of like stuck in this web and trap. So I think that regular intimacy is something that needs to be talked about and something that's really important. And if things aren't working in that genre, well, I always say, you know what, go to a therapist, like take the time to get that part of your marriage worked through because it's really important. And then the D is regular date night. And I just say once a week, go on a date. And then I tell people have a minimum date. Like Jake and I will just go outside and look at the stars for at least 10 minutes. If we, if our lives are so crazy that we haven't been able to carve out date time, we'll do something meaningful, but we'll get at least a 10 minute date in, which of course that's not that meaningful, but it's, but it's the habit that we're talking about. And then with the date night too, I tell people plan a really big, exciting date once a quarter and, you know, take turns doing it, but systemize it. Like I hear a lot of women say, well, I have to do all the date nights. And it's like, well, it's because you haven't sat down and systemized, like tell them, you know, once a month, I want you to plan a big date or whatever it is, but systemize it. So you guys know, and have your powwow. Cause if you're having your powwow on whatever Sunday or Monday, then you know, who's going to be planning the date. And then you don't just have to go to dinner and a movie because you didn't plan every anything. So it's kind of just, that's the basics that I think are really important inside the marriage space. And then the, the last thing that I, um, that I talk about just kind of in the basic sets is what I mentioned before, and it's developing bullseyes. So I have a bullseye system that I use and I, uh, I'm putting up a handout on mindfulmarriage.love. Um, I'll put it in for free for your listeners. But basically what you do, because what I find is people spend a lot of time in the wrong spaces in marriage. So this, this particular handout has 70 different items and you go through and you rate them from 100 to 1,000 in increments of 100. And, you know, is, and then, but the real truth is that I want people developing their own bullseye. These are just ideas to get you started. But the question that I have for you, does something come to mind? Like what would be a bullseye for you? A thousand points, something that your partner can do for you that you're like, wow, that's like right on the target. That means a lot to me. Can you think of one, one item? Um, yeah, it would just be telling, just telling me how much she loves me and like why giving me an example. Yeah. Okay. So, right. And so you're developing your bullseye and each couple's bullseye sets are unique to the couple. Mm -hmm. 
Because it's so interesting when people go through the bullseye list, a lot of them have my thousand point items. Like I love snorkeling, holding hands. Me and my husband will do it once a year just because I love snorkeling, holding hands. I just think it's the most romantic thing on the planet. I don't know why. It's And another thousand point is we, we talk in our hot tub and I love our hot tub discussions and he loves the hot tub and it's like we're doing an activity, which my husband likes, but yeah. we're getting the talking in that I like. So it's a, yeah. a thousand item for both of us. So basically the idea is that you spend that so people a lot of times do the golden rule where it's like do unto others as you would have others do unto you that creates good marriage but to create great marriage you do the platinum rule do unto your partner as they want done unto them and yes. so you figure out because you tend to want to output like you input so you'll give your husband those words because you want it it's that bid for connection but they're not going to be what he wants Right. It is not what he wants. Right. Because, because maybe he's, you know, an activity based person and he wants you to do an adventure with him. And that's his thousand point. So bottom line is you go through and you develop this, this scale of a thousand nine hundred, eight hundred, and then you simply spend less time doing the things that are a hundreds and two hundreds and three hundreds and more time doing the things that are eight hundred, nine hundred and a thousand. And when there's a thousand point item, I have, I use the day one journal app on my phone and I just record it like, Hey, I, I found a new thousand point. I'll take a quick picture and I just pop it in. And so I'm constantly tracking and I'm knowing what makes the big difference. And then at the end you synergize, which means you look at this scale and anything that's a match where you both think it's either 800, 900, a thousand, like those three categories that means that those are double bullseyes. Those are the synergy space of your marriage. And you can spend some time on that and other thousand points. And then you're not, you're spending the time on the things that matter most to your partner. And I just think it's really important for people to know what their partner likes. And sometimes I'll ask people and they're like, I don't know, like, I don't know what my thousand, I've never thought of it that way. So yeah. figuring it out and communicating it. Yeah, I think that's so important. And like you said, I know for my, my husband, it's not words. He likes words, but I'm going to miss the mark. Like that might be a 500, it might be a 600, but it's not going to be the thousand pointers and something that's going to get him in the eight, nine thousand space range is going to be something that involves touch. And who knows, maybe it probably wouldn't be snor snorkeling, but you never know. It might be snorkeling and holding hands. Like we've just never done it. But he's, he's the kind of person that if, if we're touching, he's going to be much happier. And so the way that we both need love is very different. And I think for many couples, they can benefit by hearing this because they're due unto others as you would like done unto you. That's that's what they're doing. And they don't realize that they're very much missing the mark. So this is so helpful. So we just got a couple minutes left here. Is there any other piece of wisdom that you really want to share that you think can help couples um, have that long, healthy, healthy, happy marriage? The main reason we, we do it in the first place. Yeah. And I, I saved the best for last. So I have, I have something in my, in my little storehouse of, of good marriages and it's basically um, having a future of your marriage. So what that means is um, setting goals together. And so people that live in the present of their marriage and the past of their marriage, that's good. But what I found is that I can project people into their future marriage. Um, the studies show that when you're doing something exciting, that it creates what they call passion in their marriage and the passion space and wanting more sexual intimacy. Like that's what the gold mine of basically research inside of the marriage space. And what they found is people that are planning, setting goals in the future. I'm doing bucket list items, doing novel ideas for their dates that creates a lot of synergy and a lot of goodness. So, and also even when you get into trouble space, if you already have something planned for the future or you have a goal that you're working towards, it keeps you in that marital rhythm. Like we have to go on this date, even though we're not quite getting along, but you go and it helps to cure things. So I think that um, for my husband and I, we always have one bucket list item that we're working on for the year. And and we also have savings goal that we have. We actually saved up for five years to get a pool because I love swimming so much. And now it basically, you know, we swim twice a week in the summer and, and it's part of our marital routine and it's a thousand points for both of us. Like, in other words, spend your marital resources saving up for the items that could create 
really great synergistic marriage space. And, and then in, in the Maslow triangle, Eli Finkel's research is so interesting from Northwestern University. He found that marriages today are better and more satisfied than any time of all history. They're also worse as well. But oh. so there's this big divide. They're better and they're worse. And the better marriages, the question is, well, how do you get there? And in the Maslow triangle is the model that he uses. And self-actualization is that top part of the triangle. And it's basically trying to help your spouse reach their best self and their purpose in life and meet their goals. And you have those goals in your marriage. And for you yourself to be like, what's my purpose in life? My purpose is to help people strengthen their relationships. That's mm. what, and bring peace into their lives. That's what I'm all about. And I know what my purpose is and my husband supports me and the things that I do there. And I support him in his purpose and goals. And so finding that purpose, that self-actualization purpose and working on those goals together is what really is like the cherry and the whipped cream of, of the marriage Sunday. And it's something that's really exciting to do together. And you get all of this positive spillover into your marriage. And it's something that can keep marriage great. It's just working on, on your futures together. Wow. Yes. I like that. The whipped cream, the cherry on top, working on it together. That's just good. So much. just re-listen, rewind, re-listen to what she just said. I'm not going to summarize it. Just listen to what she just said. Just rewind it. Okay. This was amazing. So much value. So many practical things people can do today. Like they can get off this podcast and be like, wow, I can apply this and improve my relationship right now so that I never have to go see Tamara for divorce. And, and you, I mean, maybe you want to see her for other things. Maybe she can help you, but, but, you know, I think there's just really tactical things that if you and your partner sit down, you can say, how can we start to systemize this? How can we prevent us from ever getting to that place where that is what we're going through with? You know, we didn't, we didn't sign that marriage paper binding us together so that we could end up in a courthouse one day doing the opposite. And so just be really thoughtful about this. And I think there's so many strategies and don't feel like you have to implement them all today. Like, like, okay, what is one thing we can start with this week? And, you know, maybe we have our powwow and next month we think about another strategy and the month after that, another one. So don't feel like you have to do all of these today, but there's so many, if you pick one thing, you make it specific, you make it doable, you figure out how you're going to execute it that you do today, you could really start. So Tamara, if people want to know more about you, if they want to follow you, find you, I know that you've already said, but share it again so they can continue to learn from you. Yes. So mindfulmarriage.love is my website. And um, mindful underscore marriage is my Instagram. We put posts up almost every day and I do a weekly video there just talking about good marriage practices. And yeah, just take one thing, just whatever pricked you, whatever you're like, ooh, that's interesting. Take that one thing and go with it. And I love healthy marriages. And I'm so appreciative of people like you that do podcasts and do all this work with individuals because I think marriage space to me is the most important space. It's the most important relationships that there are. And so I'm, I'm so appreciative of all the work that you do. So thank you so much for having me. Oh, yes. Well, thank you. You're a delightful guest. So thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for tuning in to Relationship Psych, the podcast put on by Ember Relationship Psychology. If you're looking for more free relationship help or advice that comes straight from the couple's therapy room, check out the free resources and the blog at www.emberrelationshippsychology.com.